Good day to you and welcome to another episode of the Earth, Sea, Love podcast. And this is the final episode in our special mini-series that has been in collaboration with Northumberland National Park's Future Landscapes Festival. Welcome. Hello and welcome, welcome to the Earth Sea Love Podcast. This podcast is for and about women of colour and our relationship with nature. Hosted by me, Cherie Mack. The Earth Sea Love Podcast is committed to exploring the experiences of women of colour with Mother Nature. We want to provide spaces where the hidden voices in the environmental and conservation conversations can explore their relationship with the natural world. Inspired by our time spent outdoors, we amplify the voices of women of colour, our stories, our conversations, interviews, photography, writing and artwork. We'll be exploring our legacies, histories and memories which have had an influence and effect upon how we perceive ourselves within the natural world and within the environmental and climate justice movements. Welcome to the Earth Sea Love Podcast. The Earth Sea Love Podcast has been made possible by the funding from National Lottery Heritage Fund. Thank you. Can I just take this moment now to say thank you. Thank you to you, dear listener, for being here, for deciding, choosing to take the time and listen in to our podcast. My appreciation for you, my gratitude towards you is immense. And I mean that because... There's one thing in creating this content, but it's another thing to get that content out there and to have you listening. And that means so much, so much to us here at the Earth Sea Love podcast. So that's the first thing I wanted to say. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And yeah, as I've said, this month, November, has just flown over. And it has been jammed, packed with goodness. My pot and my heart is overflowing with love, gratitude, joy and 
you know this that feeling of satisfaction of a job well done yeah i might be the host and i might be bringing this to you but i couldn't have done it without a whole host of other people who have given their time their knowledge their wisdom their hearts and souls to this whole venture so we've had these podcast episodes but we've also had some virtual events that have been going on and as i mentioned in collaboration with northumberland national park and it has been such a joy and so stimulating and inspiring to be part of these series and episodes and the virtual events will eventually be um, made available online as recordings and you know these podcasts are always going to be available it's just been so so good so this episode is with Jordan Mullard and she is a lecturer at Durham University in anthropology and it was so good to have another chat with Jordan um, who was put on my radar through a friend of a friend of a friend and it was basically through our love of wild swimming and we do touch upon that how <laughs> how that has become a thing now wild swimming well when when it was for Jordan and she was growing up it was just swimming and I must say I must add in there okay so it's November November the 24th today and I have been in the sea this morning I got up at six and I've been getting up at six um, for a, a while now because I've been using it to do my visual journaling time but this morning I got up checked the tide and um, it said 6 15 a.m. tide would be at its highest so you know that was music to my ears so teeth get cosser on get dry robe on and out and it's sticky dark man it's sticky dark and it's cold so 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 very cold but um it was so worth it so worth it there were a few people there already with their floats and their lights um i don't use a float and i don't use a light i just try and be as natural as possible when i enter in communion with the sea and it was so worth it so yeah um, so yeah, so in this episode, sorry that was me off on a tangent there, but in this episode we talk about wild swimming, we talk about trail running and we talk about horses, but we also cover decolonizing um, anthropology, Jordan's childhood and challenging my own internal racism and my conditioning and stereotypes around the black body and what the black body could get up to. And I'd just like to add where Jordan is talking about being let loose in the archives, um, this was virtual. She didn't get to go into the archives physically. It was a virtual exploration.
Um, so it was a really good conversation. And I must say, we haven't organized that swim together yet, Jordan. So we must sort it out, especially as it's getting colder. <laughs> More reason to laugh and giggle when we're in there. So yeah, and um, this episode, as I said, it's the final in the mini series, but it's also... Is it going to be the final one for 2021? I don't know, because I think there might be some time to squeeze in some solo episodes from myself. Um, so, yeah, let's see how it goes. I mean, you'd think I would keep the workings of the podcast under wraps and behind the curtain. But let's just say um, we don't operate like that. This is a process that we're on in bringing these episodes out to you. And I'm all about the process and having it visible, man. So the forward plan at the moment is... Let's see what happens. Anyhow, thank you for being here. And until next time, bye for now. I'm just um mad week really uh, busy well it's um university's really kicked in now isn't it it's like yeah you can't even say we're just getting into it beginning of term you know we're in the thick of it we're in the thick we are <laughs> and it's great actually having the students back honestly it's just yeah. like Durham goes and opens it sort of blossoms with the students I love it yeah I do oh awesome awesome so well you've mentioned it but like tell us um the listeners where you are situated in the world and if you are close to nature at this point can you see it can you touch it oh um so I am in Durham in the city DH1 at this very moment and what if I open my curtains I close my curtains because um the bright sun shines in but Mm -hmm. through so where I am we're quite high up on a hill Mm. and I can look over and I can see fields in the distance Mm. going up towards um Brim Park I suppose it is yeah and oh that view is just it's like a little reminder of the world and of space in the world yeah you know so when I walk back from work I'm quite fortunate when I walk to work I pass fields with horses in in the city you know in the city and then um, as I walk out I get this view just as I come up Potter's Bank and you know down on Lowe's Barn Bank and um, yeah and then you just see the fields and it's like oh yeah you know you can breathe let it go that view there's something about the power of the view of nature helps to reposition me in the world somehow so somebody said about recalibrating your your body back in back into the world but also it is back into yourself isn't it Mm. you know completely completely it is it's grounding isn't it yeah yeah that's it it's grounding definitely and um you 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 said about Durham and Durham is a city it's a Durham is a city because it's got a cathedral but as you just said it's a city but it's like it is surrounded by rural rural villages 
just the landscape. Durham's about, I don't know, maybe 20 miles south from me, if I'm staying in Newcastle. But for me, it feels just like it's a it's a different, weird. And I, w- would I put in wonderful world? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> but Durham is definitely a weird place for me for someone who's been in the Northeast. How mm-hmm. how would you talk about um Durham? Um I often describe Durham as this sort of bubble. You know, it, there's something that's abstracted from its wider location. You know, those pit villages that surround it, those areas, you know, some of the highest rates of deprivation in the country are in County Durham and in the villages and small towns that surround Durham. Yet Durham has this, I mean, Durham is not without its deprivation as a city. It's not. And there are some very old, quite established um, working class, um, deprived parts of Durham um, and old families that live in Durham. So it's not without any of that. But there is something about, and maybe it's something about the way it's situated in the landscape, you know, um, on that sort of meander of the river mm. that somehow creates this sort of natural barrier somehow between itself and the wider um, landscape around it. And I think that's kind of echoed in perhaps some of the ways in which the institutions within the city engage with that wider world. Um, so for me being in Durham, it's like I'm ha- inhabiting this bizarre domed space. Do you know what I mean? Yet oh, yes. it's got its own like microclimate as a result, yeah. which is seasonal. It's like seasonally diverse, seasonally international, yeah. um, which is like part of its beauty. Um, and its texture and you know all the rest of it uh, but it's also um I, you know I tried to work out well how real is this it's like this sort of temporality to it juxtaposed with the ancient cathedral and the castle and you know all the rest of it so it's yeah it, it's a bizarre place but it is you know ultimately for me in terms of my experience largely this kind of quite amazingly friendly place as mm-hmm. well you know like we're all inhabiting this dome and we all understand it as this somewhat discombobulated slightly set off cut off cut back somehow unmoored from its mm-hmm. wider context yet you know it's um there's a kind of beauty in the interaction. So me and my friends, particularly my friends of colour, we often say things like, oh, it's like, it's like being an expat or something. It's like, you know, when we're here, we, we don't really belong. Mm-hmm. Yet at the same time, we generate our own belonging through the interconnections we have with each other. Yeah. And then, you know, the university and, and desperately, you know, try to with wider community and I think that's a project that's been very important to me 
over the years to try and really start to sort of embed those wider connections to sort of try and reach the river banks <laughs> you know forever wanting to plunge myself into cold water sherry you know <laughs> the metaphors abound <laughs> it's about that it's wanting to somehow bridge that divide and break mm. down those hierarchies and you know often ill-conceived barriers have been there for so long so people just accept their presence somehow but things are changing, I would say. Things are changing. I mean, you, the language that you use there is, is definitely from the landscape. Well, yeah, from the landscape, from nature, the barriers mm. and being unmoored and then crossing the, well, a natural barrier or divide, the river sort of. Yeah, it, almost it sounds quest-like. Like you want this quest, it does, and it's, and it's like, and it's so for me when I'm, you know, because I'm looking on here, like go, and it's all, it's like you're a heroine going off, and you've got my, you've got my support, go forward, and I do, you know, I joke, but I do mean that, you know, because there's times, there's times that I've been trying to to penetrate it or to make change there it was definitely from an outsider coming in and like looking around and think what the hell's going on and trying to shock it up but then not actually staying and living and settling there and that's what you've done and you know it's it from my point of view and looking looking at you I think that's remarkable because you have settled there but you've got these connections going and we're going to talk about those connections a little later but what we've got in Durham we've got the hospital we've got um the the cathedral and all that and we've got the university is the another thing is that but that's what brings that those people in doesn't it temporarily or seasonally coming in maybe from the surrounding villages or so let's mm. talk about it because you're at the university you uh-huh. Durham University is old school you know it's it's like so well well done for being in there because uh-huh. <laughs> it is it's what you know it's up there with Oxford and Cambridge isn't it mm. um so you're in there and you're in anthropology if I'm correct mm. but then what's appeared maybe in at the front of that word which might not have been there initially but I could be wrong was like decolonizing or decolonization of anthropology is that a new addition or has it always been there and what does that mean what does that mean <laughs> what does that mean <laughs> well this is a really good question really good question and it is something that I think as a discipline we've probably been well there's kind of probably three different things we've done we've either really tried to get to grips with this thing you know because obviously it is regarded as one of the most colonizing disciplines in the sense of its connotations and historical connections to empire and you know, making knowable the other for purposes of colonial control and all that sort of thing that it was was kind of used for, not necessarily with the permission of the ethnographers particularly, I mean, in some cases, yes, but um, not always. And then there were also these sort of big kind of radical, um, you know, anti-colonial 
trends in anthropology right back so recently I've just and it's coming out in November actually but I've um, been involved in this virtual special issue for the Royal Anthropological Institute which is I know lard and lard. <laughs> you stole my face you stole my face <laughs> Sorry, I did. I saw your face. <laughs> but, um, you know, you've got to realise that actually all these things are made up of real people, of humans, that are just human at the end of the day. We're all just human, yeah? Mm -hmm. We all make mistakes. Nobody is this kind of, regardless of this idea of privilege that wraps around people, you know, and sets people off against each other, ultimately we're all vulnerable human beings that need each other mm. and you know I just try to remind myself of that when I do these kinds of pieces of work because it's easy to slip into thinking oh, lofty ivory towers imposter syndrome I don't belong here and you know and all of that kind of the sort of dark shadows of privilege come in but um yeah, so in terms of um, the original question, which is decolonizing, yeah, so I think, you know, it is something that has been a big part of the discipline. Anthropologists, whilst at times complicit, have also been radically opposed to mm. colonialism. And there's been this tension in the discipline between these kind of two camps, I think, really. Um, and that's been a long-standing set of tensions but uh, they're also like muted tensions sometimes they rear their heads out so I'm doing this project at um, the birthplace of Captain Cook it's really interesting because it brought to light this certain debate between two anthropologists about the death of Captain Cook and how he died was he you know was he perceived of as a god by the people uh, in Hawaii um, where he, uh, one, one of the places that he went to on his tours and ultimately died and mm. um, was killed um, by a local chief. Mm -hmm. And this debate kind of sums up the, that kind of mo those momentary rearings up of kind of two different ways of viewing history and two different ways of understanding anthropology, anti-empirical, anti colonial um versus a more kind of material descriptive kind of analysis and then it sort of gets muted and then we talk about post-colonial societies and blah 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 and that sort of language of it sort of implies that somehow we've gone beyond colonialism <laughs> and i suppose what's what's happening with the new decolonizing agenda mm. is that we're saying well actually it hasn't gone it hasn't gone away there are hugely embedded structures of inequality mm. that stem their legacies from that period of colonialism and haven't gone anywhere yeah. like cement between the bricks of the cathedral they're there you know they're solid yeah. and part of the whole decolonizing thing is really to expose it and to try and dismantle it mm -hmm. brick by brick yeah. so, uh, <laughs> so that's sort of what that's about and um and generally to be honest people have largely been pretty supportive of it um you know there are some people that think oh we've always done that so there's no need to sort of 
do it all again but I think the reality is is we haven't perhaps done it in the ways that we should have done it and we haven't done it as a collective endeavor it's been individuals that have done stuff so I think what's interesting and different about the decolonizing that we're doing now is that it really aims to be collective mm. and and I think there's great power in collectivity um, and I hope that I don't know when the end of this is ever going to be or what that's going to look like but I think it's a process and it's a process that is underway and I just don't want it to drop off the agenda you know in the way that so many things that we as black people as people of color try to do it's like I mean what the work we do the labor we put in doesn't go away but how it's received by the majority community is temporary is seasonal is all of those things isn't it oh my gosh yeah just when you were saying there about dropping off the agenda and if you think about June last year and Black Lives Matter and everyone was clamoring and like we've got to do something we've got to make change and I, and I say everyone I mean white establishment saying like you know we're sick and tired of all this and we need to make change and, it, and it's like they, we've got generations we've got decades of people are saying brown and black people saying we need to make change Mm. we're suffering we're dying racism Mm. inequity inequalities and like so yeah so it's all on the agenda and then oh what a year and a half later it's like yeah you can hear the crickets right it's like (laughs) i'm standing in a field where are my people Yeah, the agenda and it is and you said it's that temporariness of it and that seasonalness of it and it it is it's like what's in fashion and what's not in fashion and that is Mm. so frustrating so frustrating when it's always on our agenda it's always on our agenda to be to be changing the narrative the skewed lies basically that is passed Mm. off as history and these are the stories these are the myths and this is all true and this is you know like (laughs) so just just to step back you said the essay that you're doing from the royal anthropology society was it is a collaborative you've done a collaborative essay on what what's it on sorry i didn't get the the focus yeah yeah so um there's there's three I, i believe it's coming out in November. The bit that I'm doing, which I believe then there are two or three other people also doing something. We had to choose 10 articles from the JRAI, which is the Journal of the Royal Anthropological Institute, mm-hmm. back catalogue. Mm-hmm. And then um, that we felt talked to or obfuscated or spoke against um, or in favour or in in some way spoke to the decolonising issues that we're talking about today. And then we had to curate them Mm. by way of a a written introduction. Yeah, which is, it was so interesting. And I really like leapt into this in full force in the summer last year. And I I basically went right back to the first edition of the journal, to the first volume Mm -hmm. um, in 1848 and started off at that point. (laughs) 
And I thought, well, I can't, like, how can I choose 10 without having a sense of everything that's there? And I suppose it's part of, um, I don't know, perhaps it's part of that archaeological thing as well. Isn't it? Anyway, so then I thought, right, I'm going to do that. So I started reading through and I was like, I'm just reading all this, like, white, dead, old, dead men, you know. <laughs> and it was like, oh no and there's these you know very sort of intimidating titles like on the human mouth and then you know what that tells us about whatever and what. well you can imagine right you can imagine yes. reading it like I either need to do this with a bottle of whiskey <laughs> or I'm gonna have to like get myself in the sea or you know on a routine basis mm. um no but I mean it was it was actually really really interesting I found it really very very interesting because within some of these very sort of anatomical pretty dreadful racially classifying articles there were also these little nuggets saying hey up <laughs> you know, that you know we can't no we've got to do things a bit differently actually you know we can't just keep doing this yeah. You know, we've got to take into account history. We've got to take into account context. Mm -hmm. We've got to take into account culture. We can't just be measuring and categorizing and creating typographies for this stuff. You know, we've got to, for people and for, you know, people in different places around the world. Yeah. We've got to start to unpack the other stuff that's going on. Mm. So it was just a very interesting exercise working through the decades um, and then writing a, a, a sort of introduction mm. to these 10 articles. Just when you're talking about it and, you know, I see these, these dusty, dusty archives where you're over the table studying these, <laughs> these mighty books. That in itself, that image of you being allowed in the archives, you know, being let loose in the archives is like so, so pleasing to me, to my, um, my own sense of wonder, because that is, if we think about the archives, it is a very white institution. And in a sense, it's like another extension of power because the, whoever's in charge of the archives is the one who makes the decision of what's worth saving what's yes. worth putting away for the next generation and that is so clouded by the the thinking of the time the context of the time the personal prejudices etc cetera, etc cetera. so you know whenever you say archives and somebody says it's open and let's go in it's like yes let's put them up you know so, <laughs> yes let's open it all up <laughs> exactly. Yes. and but then to have are you saying to curate it because then you're actually putting your print on or imprint on what has been said and actually writing, writing wrongs in a sense. Mm. Um, and I think that's really empowering. So thank you for doing that work. And, and I hope you didn't drink too much whiskey. <laughs> no, I hate whiskey. I absolutely yeah. hate it. No, I so I don't know why I said that because oh. I actually do really hate oh. whiskey. 
You see, you had yeah. me at whiskey because I love my <laughs> single malt whiskeys. After oh. a tour of Scotland, it got me into it. I didn't like it before, but I do now. But moving <laughs> on, but that, but not moving on because, in a sense, that's admitted to one of my guilty pleasures. Yeah, but yeah. you, you came onto my radar, Jordan, through a friend, um, who says, "Oh, you must talk to John. She's she's a wild swimmer." She's next to me. That woman wild. a wild swimmer. <laughs> a wild let's, swimmer. Let's talk about that because, you know, you've got that rural base where you're living in Durham, but then also you can nip across to the coast. How long have you been in Durham and how long have you been wild swimming from Durham? Or did you come to Durham already a wild swimmer? Do you know, it's really, really funny because I'd never really heard of this concept of wild swimming <laughs> until maybe about three four years ago it was just what I did I used to cycle to the sea because where I grew up was in the New Forest which was a rural area you know as, as I'm sure you know and um, you know I could cycle and as soon as I could learn to drive I learned to drive mm -hmm. and I got a car and I drive there and um, you know spent a lot of time on the beach in the sea and um, growing up it was a big part of my childhood with family but also I mean swimming generally has always been a really big part like my dad taught me to swim mm. um as well as formal lessons but it was a big thing that my dad did with us mm. and then um because he always swam he used to swim like in the Thames and stuff like that as a lad so it's always been like a big thing for me swimming but I never called it wild swimming it was just <laughs> what we did <laughs> swimming yeah. in the sea and then all this new language developed around it wild swimming sea swimming yeah. sea swim going for a sea swim I was like <laughs> that's, just, that's just going for a swim isn't it you know and then I sort of realized oh yeah but now there's this like clobber there's <laughs> a whole sort of material yeah. culture has developed yeah. around this concept of wild swimming you know the toe float and the hats and the you know dry robe. Neon, dry robe oh my goodness where would I be without my dry robe I don't know like for all those years and I was just swimming in the sea yeah, with a towel, <laughs> I, with a towel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> desperately sort of clutching it hoping that it won't fall down <laughs> you know? yeah. now we've got our clobber now we we've got a clobber time. Yeah, it's like proper kit, man. Yeah. You know, I love my kit now. I've got like this massive bag. Yeah. And yeah, but I just, that's revolutionized the whole experience. The dry robe and my kit bag mm -hmm. is just like, oh. And you stand in your kit bag and, you know, to keep your feet warm. Oh, do you know, I haven't tried that, but now you've got me onto that. I'm going to start doing that, standing in my kit bag. You know, when it's cold, your feet, you know, it, yes. it does help you get warm. And if it's big enough, you can also sit in it as well. <laughs> so when you pull it on your bottom. <laughs> That's such a good idea. It is probably big enough for me to sit in, actually. To there be you fair. go. There I you think go. I could. So you've always yeah. found. You've always I've always found. Mm -hmm. It's always been this great thing for me, like real release, you know, like I'm quite, yeah. I think I'm a bit like cumbersome on land. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. Oh, I'm, no, I'm... I totally know what you mean. Because like <laughs> I <really> am <laughs> and cumbersome. Yeah, I was told that I had two left feet. 
when I was growing up because I was always falling in the sea. And I'm why I'm saying that because I was in yesterday. It was navy sky. So the sea was actually navy, but the sun was coming up. So it was sending down this golden tunnel of light, right? Oh. So at that point, I just lay back on my back mm. and my feet popped out. And the sun, the sunlight was touching my toes and it made me golden, you know? Oh, and that, glowing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Glowing. And that's how I feel. I feel like I'm a golden goddess when I'm in the sea. <laughs> no more longer have I got two left feet, man. I'm beautiful. I'm magnificent. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Who wouldn't who wouldn't want to keep who going back to have that feeling? Oh, no. <laughs> well, they say it's addictive. It is, you know but it is. I, it, it, no I mean it is and I actually I totally agree you know I as a kid was had flat feet or I was regarded as having which is a common thing right yeah yes seem to have you know flat feet mm-hmm. and um anyway I so water was always like just a way of well it's that thing isn't it of getting out of your body somehow being weightless and yeah. yeah just the best yeah it's just the so, best but just the other thing though you said your dad taught you to swim and he used to swim in the tents right so you're mixed yeah. race and I'm making the wrong assumption that your dad was white yeah you are my dad was black awesome thank you thank you for that because because why I'm like at this moment I'm writing this essay and it's about sea um, and what I do is I'm, I'm uncovering my own memories of water, sea, swimming. Yeah. And I have this image of my dad um, and he was he was black. He was from Trinidad and Tobago. He was like blue, black, um, yellow, pound hands, really big. Hand. And I've got this image of him standing in the sea at Great Yarmouth in burgundy trunks and his hands on his hips. And he's just like <laughs> owning owning the sea yeah Yeah. and I can't remember right if then he'd go off and swim or not I don't know if he just stood in the sea for the pictures I don't know if he swam or not I know I didn't learn to swim until I was much later um Mm. you know in middle school it was so this is 12 13 and what the story that I was told is like you know you can't swim black women can't swim you've got a pigeon chest that will that will have trouble you know so when you just said there it's like yeah um I've been swimming and my dad taught me to swim and he swam in the tents and this is my my education or upbringing to think well he couldn't have been her black father because you know um even though I know because we've talked before it's like it must have been, it must have been a white guy. Her dad's a white guy who taught her to swim, yeah. you know, because those two for me do not marry a black yeah. guy that swims, you know? Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's my upbringing. That's, that's been operating under the stereotypes of white supremacy culture and being yeah. fed this by education, family, like black people can't swim, you know? Yeah. So please, oh, yeah. please rewrite the narrative for me. <laughs> Oh yeah, no. I mean, he used to. He swam in the Serpentine in the Thames. And where was and he from? So he was. He was born in Britain. Yes, excellent. Um, <laughs> and um, because that's another he, assumption, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I'm just throwing yeah. them all out here. You know, I'm. I'm 
it's not playing devil advocates, but it is, it's like, it's in that sense, it's like, okay, so if he's black, he couldn't have been born here. He couldn't be from here, you know? Mm. So where's he from? He must be from some island because it must have needed, they needed to swim in an island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he, yeah, so he basically taught us how to swim. And I suppose for me, my fondest memories of water are with him. Yeah. swimming with him in the sea and in wherever we were you know in lakes and rivers and mainly in the sea but also just in swimming pools and you know and all sorts and he's a very very strong swimmer really strong swimmer still swimming it's been that connection but also you know on a personal level just you know for myself as being a place where I just feel at home you know and I think I don't know if you feel this, but sometimes you just feel so visible. You feel so visible on land, so yeah. conspicuous, you know, which also for me makes me more kind of clumsy somehow, you know, like, do you know Be- what I mean? Because you do feel as if eyes are on you. Even, I mean, even though, right, I'm an intelligent person and I know people, people do stare sometimes, but most of the time people are getting on with their own exactly. stuff. Do you know what I mean? But we're thinking, oh my gosh, they're staring at me, they're looking at me. I better make sure I'm walking straight. I don't trip up. Um, I don't give away anything that would make them think any worse of me because they already think that of me. You know, that that script that's going on in our heads. It's nuts. (laughs) Well, no, but it's time consuming, is what it is. It's time consuming. It's tiring as well. It's tiring, it's wearing, it's really wearing. But yeah. yeah, so um, so up here, I like you said, it's a beautiful location because you've got the coast. So you've got the Northumberland coast, which is absolutely magnificent yeah. and so sparsely populated. You know, I, often I go there and I think, blimmin' heck, if this was in the south, mm-hmm. it would be rammed. Car parks would be paid, you know, you'd have to pay to park. There'd yeah. just be wall-to-wall ice cream and some sort of fancy burger van that sells, yeah, yeah. do you know what I mean, gastro burgers or something. <laughs> and then, you know, whatever. But it would be really busy, really, really busy. Mm-hmm. And what I really like about up here is the fact that you can find these truly beautiful places and there's no one there. Mm. So you get that sense of isolation and you get that sense of feeling truly at one in the, in the nature, truly at one in the landscape, in the sea, in the everything. No eyes are on you, you know, you're, you're just kind of yourself in it, living it, part of it, you know, part of it. Actually, it's not about any kind of dichotomy between the land and you. It's like, you. it's symbiotic, isn't it? And that's the beauty of, of swimming like running as well you're because you're self-propelling yourself you're not like using the machine or you're not there's no other force causing your movement Mm. in the world other than your own body so Mm. somehow that puts you much more in tune with the landscape that you're in so you know when you're swimming you're thinking of tides you're thinking of currents you're thinking of the different pulls and pushes and you know you're thinking of jellyfish got madly stung Oh, did in you? In August, yeah, really badly stuff. And just like all of the things that you have to think about 
mm-hmm. waves everything mm-hmm. you know you become part of it because you have your psychology has to be in it mm-hmm. same with running you know thinking about where you put your feet and trail running mm-hmm. you know think of the roots of the trees you've got to hop over those you've got to kind of be really light-footed mm-hmm. um and you're thinking of loose stones and ball you know all the things that you think of weaving through the trees that's my favorite thing to do yeah. and um you're present you have to be present you do that's it that presentism mm-hmm. is that's the thing that's I think so addictive because you have to be really conscious of your body in the world yeah and you have to be really conscious of your surroundings Mm. from your where you're placing your feet Mm. to where you're placing your arms and hands and where you're moving your body through the the water all of that it's very present and that's it you know it's we you said we have to be conscious of our bodies and the thing is is that when we're moving through society we are conscious of our bodies mm-hmm. but not within not as an embodied experience we're conscious of our bodies from the mind up in yeah. in those that the script that we run about our body being being well for me it's like being offensive to others so let's make it as small and inconspicuous yeah. as I can but yeah. then when I'm within the sea or within the forest it's the case of like I'm so conscious of my body because I'm open and I'm yeah. I'm receiving everything that's coming in through my body yeah. but it's a much it is it's a it's a um it's a joyful experience it's pleasure it's it's yes. like I've got to be in my body I feel all this pleasure yeah <laughs> you know? I think that thing about being like from the neck up Mm-hmm. when you're in society in on, on the land in going about your day you know doing the things that you have to do in the world that um you know it is that thing of you're in this part you're in this part you know mm-hmm. the head you're in your head and you're receiving all the time these messages yeah. that there's something wrong with your body basically yeah. aren't we let's be honest we're being yes. the, the messages are about negative representations of our body I mean I my body is a mixed race body mm-hmm. you know so mm-hmm. that comes with a lot of they're not the set quite the same kind of connotations mm-hmm. necessarily as the black body mm-hmm. you know and there's a degree of privilege in that but there's also you know other you know um fetishized sexualized you know very gender related (laughs) dimensions to mixed race bodies Mm -hmm. that um sort of impact on Mm -hmm. um on 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 that thing that's happening in our head when we think about our bodies in society Mm -hmm. and um but like you say when you're in nature and those eyes aren't on you (laughs) you can be in your body in a whole different kind of way Mm -hmm. it's like dancing as well I mean for me like I just it's it's where you lose yourself is you lose this bit of your embodiment <laughs> you know you, you lose the, the message you lose your head from here you lose your head they're not coming from here are they they you lose your head <laughs> you lose your head <laughs> no you do and you go into everything else don't you go into your feet and you go into your hands yeah, yeah, yeah. And you go into your arms and all the rest of it and i don't want to say it's childlike the the way I'm feeling but it does take me back to remembering myself when I was a child when I didn't have 
all of these other stories layers laid upon my body and my person it was just like I was free you know and that's that's what I remember and that's what I take with me after I've come out the sea into the rest of my day and try and can keep that up. it's like I've been topping up my 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 childlike wonder pot sort of thing <laughs> yeah, I like that come come 6 30 at night oh we're going a bit low right I better get in again tomorrow and top it back yes. up sort of thing. <laughs> but that's what it is yeah, yeah, it's like that. It's like um, I don't know if you ever read um Sophie's World. You no, know, which is sort of about. I suppose really, it's a kind of it's about philosophy. But mm-hmm. there was this lovely analogy in it of like being like the white rabbit in Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. And when you're a child, you're like right on the tip of the rabbit's fur, and you're hopping through this crazy landscape, looking at everything. Everything's wondrous. Everything's amazing. And then the older we get, the more sort of signals that we receive from that outside world, the deeper down into that rabbit's fur we go, you know, and it's quite quite a nice metaphor, I think, in terms of into that white world, into that white fur, we get buried in that white fur and then we can't, we lose our wonder. Yeah, that's, you know, and yeah, I don't know. I've always liked that. That's, I've really carried that with me for a long time. That idea of being on the that, tip of the rabbit's fur. I love that, and I must remember that and use that because it is it is a case of like I've I've said that you know I go in and come out and I'm sparkling and I'm, you know it's mm. that numb and that's warmness you know, take on the rest of the day. I say I've got a smile on my face, but it is more a case of how I see the world. The world is a much more, is a much more nicer place to be in. And I'm, I'm emitting all this love. And, and even if I meet somebody who's hostile or is not sharing my love, it's like, it's just like it's water off a duck's back. No matter, yes. you know, that's sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, more God. for someone else. Yes. <laughs> so, right. So we mentioned the swimming. You've mentioned trail running. And last time we talked, you said that you were maybe setting up a group or you had set up a group. So talk about that. And then also when we're talking about the new forest and your upbringing, there was horses involved oh, yes. oh, yeah god horses <laughs> god i really love horses i love horses so after we talked um i've like recently made i mean some of them aren't new friends but a, a new friend is part of this group of, of sort of more older friends and um and she runs and she was like oh i really you know we were just chatting and and she said oh, i really want to do trail running i love the idea of trail running she does like crossfit and you know kind of functional training and she's you know she's into all that she runs but not in the countryside and she said you know I'd really really want to but I feel nervous about it I feel worried she's Asian she said yeah I feel really nervous really anxious about my safety Mm -hmm. you know doing it And and I explained, yeah, I know I do know what you mean. I mean, I'm I am really acutely aware when I am running in the countryside, which is ironic because you're probably safer in lots of ways mm-hmm. than you are running around the streets in the middle of the night, mm-hmm. um, or whenever. Yeah. So she was just saying, oh, I'll come with you. I'd love to come with you. I really want to try it, and you know. So I took her, and then I thought, well, I bet you there's loads of us out there who really <laughs> want to do it, and just perhaps you know are nervous you know and particularly with all stuff of Sarah Everard and the amount of cases of women being sexually assaulted murdered 
anxiety around all of that is heightened mm. you know we're hyper vigilant aren't we let's be honest mm. we're always scouring the landscape aren't we for men <laughs> you know what are the, you know who are the men in the world around <laughs> us so I just thought right I'm just going to put it out there and see if anyone else wants to to come so I did and you know it's really early days and I don't know if I've got the timings right for it so I might have to rethink that but um yeah yeah it's it's starting which is good and it's nice to run with people I've always been quite solitary but I run and I enjoy it by Mm. myself because it's always it's it started as my own space headspace away from family and commitments and all that it was a case of like mm. I'm, I'm just going out for a run you know it would put my head back on straight then yes. yeah 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 but there's so, real, it's really nice with other people you know I, I you know and, and it's nice with women other women you know that somehow there isn't I mean there may be that competitive element I don't really know I haven't felt that and it's um it's just chatting you know I've actually found that I've run longer faster you know with with other people with other women you know and it's really nice sense of sort of companionship and solidarity in the landscape oh it's just lovely yeah there's something quite Uh, powerful about it yeah that sounds it does you'll have to come yeah 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 I'd like that definitely because um I've done a bit of trail running yeah that would be nice but let's talk horses because horses are not usually associated with people of color are they oh they're not really um, we had we had another guest on here, Soraya, and she she was into horses. But and again, she was from down south, Hampshire. Hampshire is it something that is is in the air down there that gets <laughs> <laughs> that's sort of slight pong on the, <laughs> the nasal, the sort of heavy plummy nasal sort of. <laughs> yeah, how did this come about? Because I, when I was young, definitely I was scared of horses. And that again, it's like I must, I must like give props to my mom. She was a really good mom, but like telling me stories that would scare me about one woman who had a had a breast nibbled by a horse and how it was, you know. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I had big breasts for a young from a young age, so I was keeping away from horses. I'm glad to say I have come to such an appreciation of love of horses because they are beautiful, beautiful creatures and intelligent and and giving, I think. Giving, I think, you know, this but this is me. Talk about you and your horses. (laughs) Oh yeah, no, I I have a very deep love (laughs) for horses and um, yeah again it goes back to being a kid really and I suppose about creating a space for myself that was um, outside of things that were difficult for me to understand and comprehend and experience you know growing up in a very white rural part of the world and um, having lesbian parents you know got a lot of hassle uh, in school and what have you you know for being like three of us in kids of color mm-hmm. the only kids of color and to boot we had you know we lived with our lesbian mother partner so mm-hmm. you can imagine it was a bit of a double whammy 
And so the stables and horses were like this little sort of escape pod place. And there's something, there's something about the elegance and stoicism of a horse that's very stabilizing. Mm. And I found that. Like my, I always say like my first love, the first love of my life was a horse. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me but uh, it was and he honestly I I used to just I liked riding him bareback and you know like I'd take him out and I'd just take all the tack off the saddle bridle and I used to just lay on his back and just let him just walk about the forest with me just laying on his back. The first love of your life makes me think and feel you needed to have someone to love and have that returned in a simple beautiful way do you know do you know what I mean and that connection you needed that connection to feel better as you say it was um you created a a cocoon almost I did, and I used to feel like he knew how I felt. I mean, I don't know, there's loads of transference going on, probably. You know, he was always... So he, how I came to have this relationship with this particular horse was tipping up to the yards. I was about nine years old, eight, nine years old, and I was just standing at the gate, and I was actually set to catch another horse. And this horse me whinnying his head off, just like he was so pleased to see me. And I thought, I don't know you. And he was just so <laughs> pleased to like, who are you? And he just galloped towards me, whinnying and like, you know, shaking his head and just looking radiant. And um, and he wanted me to catch him, he wanted me to to, you know, so I did. And then from then on, it was just like he and I and and I eventually I bought him yeah so then he became became my horse my pony he was a pony really but he was just it was just like this instant connection and yeah yeah so what was his name Popeye Popeye (laughs) but Popeye saw you Popeye saw you and Popeye wanted to be with you maybe Popeye knew you needed him and he needed you we can't think that um, animals are dumb because no. they're not. No, they're they're not. not. And we are connected to them. We're the same, if you know what I mean, in, mm. in so many ways. And, you know, we're different in other ways as well. But we are connected and we have that connection with them and it can't be denied, really. You know, mm. again, my upbringing, I was brought up to fear all animals the hairy, the slavery, the smell, ah, and that's my family putting their fears on me, swimming, mm. you know, horses, mm. you know. and it's like, oh my gosh, it's like I've spent the rest of my life trying to work out for me what's mm. good, what's bad, what's mm. to fear, what's not to fear, get out of that construction, in because I do think, you know, they do it to protect us, but they didn't pass on that information as like, you know, society, the system's not set up for you to survive. So we're doing this, you know, to help you survive. But at the same time, there's so much joy and love out there that you could be doing, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's that, oh, protect- yeah. it's getting that balance, isn't it? The protect- and it's very hard. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. It is so hard. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you were talking about being mixed race, a mixed race woman. You know, my daughter, she is 11 now and she's mixed race. I'm constantly trying to help her navigate that space, but I'm doing it from a black woman's point of view, um, which is different to what, sh- what she will experience and is experiencing in her life. But at the same time, I have to remind her that you are black and you are going to be judged accordingly. And it's such, it's such a difficult task, man. especially especially when she would not be told anything (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah but that is actually will stand her in good stead yes I know hopefully that means she won't listen to the rubbish yes yes I know know oh gosh I know it is I don't want her to listen to the rubbish but I want her to listen to me you know of course (laughs) yeah I mean you know no, I want the best of both worlds. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So do you get to do much horse horse riding in Durham? Or have you not been able to pick that up? No, I haven't been able to pick that up, but I really long for it. So where I run quite often, I run past the stables mm-hmm. down near Hoffle Woods. And every time I get to that bit, mm. I stop and I walk because I just want to breathe the air that the horses are in, the smell of them, all of it. It's like really in your senses, but the smell specifically, so overpowering and so like, just takes me right back. So I always have a moment where I just walk really slowly past that Mm. stables and look and just, it's like a yearning to to get back on the horse. And I, I have ridden since being a child and stuff and you know into adulthood and what have you but Popeye died and um that was a really sad time for me so I I stopped going to that stables after he died I guess like since then I've never really you know been as into it somehow which is really sad god it sounds so traumatized it was traumatic and you're you're grieving you're yeah. grieving and but at the same time you know hearing you talk and there's so much emotion in in your voice and I see your face mm-hmm. I'm also thinking and because I was going to be asking, it's like, well, so why are you not house riding? You love it. And and I, I know why you're not. But at the same time, you're denying yourself a lot of pleasure and joy yeah. by not yeah. doing it. And you deserve yeah. it. You deserve yeah. it. So yeah, and you're not you're not doing a disservice to Popeye or for, forgetting him. You but in a sense you're honoring him because it was with him that you you started this relationship with horses yeah yeah yeah. so you must keep on honoring him by continuing that relationship with horses that's that's what I say you know (laughs) that's really lovely thank you for saying that I think I I perhaps needed to hear that actually thank you (laughs) yeah you're welcome (laughs) you know I mean yeah Yeah, I I mean I'm saying you should but you know it's like yeah, I just I just say what I feel. It's not what I think 
if I was thinking, I'd probably keep my mouth shut a lot of the time, but I'm now, I, I talk from the heart because. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank and you. <laughs> the <laughs> final thing is do charity work. Well, you know, you raise money for charities, different charities. Can you just mm. tell us a little bit about that? Because I think that feeds into your connection with land and nature. Yeah, no, it does. So recently I did the um, chill swim, which is, uh, I did the Coniston chill swim, mm -hmm. which was an end-to-end swim of the Coniston water in the Lake District, 5.25 miles. And I did that with the charity Level Water. Mm -hmm. And it's raising, what they do is they deliver swimming lessons to children with disabilities. And I, knowing the power of water for me and what it's meant for me mm. in terms of liberating me from, from the land somehow and from all those eyes and all those, you know, messages about how we should be and what we should look like and all those things, that water was the one place where all of that just disappeared and I kind of think that the idea of a charity encouraging and supporting and nurturing swimming in children for whom being on the land is a challenge in an ableist world mm. is a challenge is is just really beautiful so so I swam for them and um and in, in addition to that I wanted to raise the importance of of black disabled children and you know raising the profile of making sure that these lessons extend out to black children uh, as well disabled children because not enough is done when we when we think about intersectionality and we think about those multiple forms of discrimination and minoritization that um you know, I wanted to make that a, a point as well. So yeah, so it, it, yeah, it was good. It was really nice to do that. And I'm going to sign up for the next one, yeah. which is, but I'm going to go a little bit harder and I'm going to try the 7.25, wow. which is Old Water. Gosh. So I'm kind of deciding to do that. So that's one aspect. And then, um, well, I support a charity called um, Stamp It Out, which is, um, it sort of uh, aims to reduce the stigma of mental health and, and problems and difficulties. And again, that's with young people, but not exclusively with young people. That's, that's something else that I'm doing. And then I did the Great North Swim, which was 5K, and I did that raising money for any youth, which is a youth charity in the Northeast um, as well. So, yeah, yeah, bits and pieces. Um, and, you know, being able to combine the things that I enjoy that give me pleasure means that maybe I'll just I'll swim a little bit harder and a little bit faster them somehow I don't know that sounds really cheesy but <laughs> no, no not at all and like you know I'm sure you're the second person today who's said something about their belief and how they op operate and then say oh I bet that sounds really cheesy I just want people to own it more because mm. I'm not thinking that's cheesy at all I'm thinking that's wonderful and memorable you're doing something that you you love 
but you're also you you feel that it can put you can push yourself a little bit further because you're doing it for someone else as well and and I think we do that we do that in our everyday we always put other people first don't we before ourselves but this I think is is such a beautiful combination because you are doing it but you know that you're in service of somebody else doing it and who are in much need greater need than yourself you know you know you've got these privileges and you're not sitting on them if you know what I mean (laughs) you are working them so other people can benefit from it and I do I do I think it's amazing because they're no small efforts either because I did the great north swim Windermere like 2013 or 2014 and I just did half a mile man half a mile mm, yes. and it it's took, still me, good. That, took you know. me a long time and I had an individual kayak man because you know in the waves the end oh, of the wave yes. has the kayak doesn't it so he's like oh, he's going, yes. come on Sheree come on because I was at the end of the, of the end of the wave he's going you can do it Sheree come on come on hold on to the front have a rest keep going <laughs> oh brilliant no, that's great those kayakers honestly they are his name was Ryan and he stuck with me and I know I couldn't have done it without his help yeah so, shout out to Brian <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> I just think if there was more more of us and them in the world that were helping each other and supporting each other and not from a position of like well I'm superior to you and you you know Mm. we're all in this together in the sense of like we're all human beings and we have different needs and different wants but if we can help each other you know to fulfill our potential or just to have those moments of joy then I say power to the elbow Power to the elbow. Power to the elbow. Well, it's funny because I was reminded by um, I went to a talk that um, that the POCA, which is the Durham People of Colour Association Student Association, Mm. had put on for Black History Month, and it was about Black psychology. And we had somebody come and talk, and he reminded me of um, Desmond Tutu's (laughs) speech about Ubuntu. And this idea that, you know, I am because of you, you know, I am human because of you, you know, we are people, you know, and, and it's that idea that nobody really is alone yeah. and nobody really is, a, is an island separate from another person, that actually who we are is to do with everyone else around us, you yeah, know, yeah. that we are a collective and oh wow yeah I was just reminded of that um for that reminder for me it's quite powerful yeah well it's just what you said basically yeah I love that because I'm all I'm all for the the solitude you know I've just come back from a a week in a van by myself oh nice and I, I need that but it's so true I was still connected with people if you know what I mean and I know I couldn't have done that if I didn't have that connection and help from other people so yeah yeah not an island but who wants to be who wants to be because if I was an island I wouldn't have been connecting with you now 
Okay. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and on that note, on that note, I have to say thank you. Thank you once again for your time and your wisdom and your shares. It's really appreciated. It is really appreciated. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Sherry. You know, it's just marvelous to talk to you. It really is. I just think you're absolutely fabulous. You're brilliant. Oh. And we've got to have that swim. Oh my gosh, yeah. No, defo. 